Therapist Connect podcast is sponsored by ISOS Connect. Modernize your private practice without tech overwhelm. Create and store client records and notes. Schedule video sessions with automated confirmations and reminders. Send invoices and more. All in one secure, affordable and easy to use place. Visit www.isosconnect.com and use code TC30 for one month free on any paid plan. Welcome to the Therapist Connect podcast, a podcast for therapists by therapists. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Therapist Connect podcast. My name is Dr. Peter Blundell and today I'm back interviewing therapists about their life and work in the therapy community. This episode is an interview with Sarah Matthews, who is a senior accredited and registered counsellor and psychotherapist with the BACP. Sarah is a qualified counselling supervisor and trainer, as well as an online and telephone counsellor. Sarah has headed up bereavement services in the voluntary sector for many years before finally setting up her own bereavement counselling practice. She says she's passionate about working in a properly trauma-informed way with her clients. And she also offers supervision or consultation to therapists, healthcare and allied professionals. Thanks for listening to the Therapist Connect podcast. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. It's great to kind of finally meet you and chat to you properly. Yes, really nice. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've just been my husband and I've just been laughing because I've given up working at... um, you know, hospice, and up until about three months ago, I would have been out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and on the road by seven. But now, <laughs> have an appointment at nine o'clock, and I've been running around like headless chicken trying to get myself sorted. So, how quickly I've slid. Into how you've easily different. transitioned into it. I love it. That's fantastic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to be a therapist in the first place what drew you to therapy as a yeah two things I think first of all um which will come as no surprise to the community I'm sure was um my own story having therapy myself I had a difficult childhood there was there was sexual abuse there was violence and so I had to grow to a point where I was ready to address all that and I did all that through counselling um shout out to Tyneside Rape Crisis Centre which 35 years ago literally saved my life I think um so through my own personal experience and then alongside of that I um had quite a mixed career but a lot of it was in education and training and I ended up working in an alcohol rehab a residential alcohol rehab and running kind of therapeutic groups for the people who were living there and realizing that I was working way beyond my competence um and it looking back on it now I think I had a bit of natural ability I was a qualified lecturer so I could teach a bit I knew how to do certain things and I knew things from my own therapy but there was a whole load of stuff I didn't know and the organisation that I worked for at the time, which I won't name, I think they've gone bust, which is a good thing. Um, they didn't know either. They couldn't explain to me what I knew, what I didn't know. But I knew there were things I didn't know. And I could feel myself getting more and more wobbly. And my practice was not great. And my mental health wasn't good. And it came to a crisis point And I walked out. I just stopped. And I remember thinking, right, well, this is the time then. Now's the time to do it. because. I've got this opportunity, I've got the space, and I've reached a real kind of difficult point in my own life. So that's when I started. I think I'd done a certificate in counselling years and years before, but that's when I enrolled on a degree. 
um and thought okay I'm, I'm gonna make this happen and I'm gonna learn to do this properly and for me the massive massive learning was um about myself which I think most counsellors would say so that that's the kind of backstory I think to how I train certainly Thank you. Um, so that's really interesting. It sounds like you're almost like you're finding your way through that role. So you had a sense of what it was, but then there was these things that you didn't you didn't know. And you yes. knew there was something there that actually I need yes. more, you know. Yes. Yes. I knew I was um I had ability, but I was unstable and I wasn't I didn't understand anything at all about the therapeutic frame. Um I hadn't done enough personal development. You know, I thought I had and hadn't. Mm. And it was all of that stuff. But at the same time, I was drawn to the work because um, the work had meant so much to me and I could see it meaning things to other people. And there were flashes of bits where I got it right, but lots of times where I didn't get it right um, and just didn't hold people properly. So, yes, I had a sense of what was going on and, and an extraordinary sense of being aware of what I didn't know, which is something I've tried to kind of nurture and cultivate ever since because that's continuing in the profession, isn't it? It's It's one of the things I like about it. You know, there's always stuff to learn and you've never cracked it. So I enjoy that, I think. Well, I'm glad that you said that because as you were talking, I was I was thinking, I, I always feel like that. <laughs> it's kind of, kind <laughs> yeah, of totally. <laughs> each step I take, I think, oh yeah, I've got more clarity here. And then there's more unknown that opened opened yes. up behind that, you know. Yes. So it's like yes. A, it reminds me of when my stepson was a kid and he used to play um endless games of PlayStation, which I never really cracked. But you know, and you like get to a level and you're like, yeah, let's look at me, I'm at level four. And then suddenly you think, oh, okay, but what that does is then opens up the next level which is mega <laughs> or, or multiple levels <laughs> yes that's what it feels like but I do actually really like that here I am at 61 and I feel you know full of energy for what's what what's to learn next so I like the fact that I don't find the work boring can you tell us a little bit about your career over that time as a yeah therapist? um I mean I was I was really lucky and I had no sense of how lucky I was because I got a paid job at the end of year two I went on to do the honours bit of the degree so I was still training but I got a paid job I got a paid job I'd done 98 hours of my placement and I got a paid job and I think I got that on what I'd done before because I got um, a job working as a counsellor in a drug and alcohol agency so obviously I'd managed an alcohol rehab I'd written care plans for this organisation blah 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 so I got it on the back of other stuff and had at that point no understanding whatsoever. Came out of college with no political or social understanding of where counselling sits in the world. So got this job. So that was, um, you know, extremely fortuitous. And it was really hard. I, I would say it was really hard work. They they asked us to overbook because they got so many DNAs. So we were booking in seven a day. At some points, I know it was like a nightmare if they all turned up, but people didn't. There was massive DNAs. So it was like counselling boot camp, um, looking back on it. I just had a room in in an organisation. I didn't see anyone else. Um, I saw my supervisor once a month and she was psychodynamic and I was terrified of her. Um, So it was hard, 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 hard graft, but good uh, looking back on it. if it has to be brutal, which it was for me, then I learned so much. And during that period of time, I got really switched on to, blimey, there aren't any paid jobs. Like, no one gets paid for this stuff. What I at wasn't even a twinkle in Layard's eye at that point. 
So I realised that there were paid jobs in hospices if you could get one. And so um, the truth of the matter, here I am as a bereavement specialist all these years later, and it is my absolute passion. But it wasn't my passion at the time. My passion was earning money. And I thought, oh, OK, I can maybe try and get a job in a hospice. And there was a lot of loss, I think, that underpinned a lot of people's stories around um, problem gambling or substance abuse or problematic drinking. So I'd started to read and was interested. So it's perhaps not quite true to say I didn't have any interest, but I certainly bigged it up for the interview, telling them it was my lifetime's ambition to work in hospice. The truth was I wanted to be paid. So I've always held those memories very strongly in my mind and they inform some of the things that I now feel about our profession. But that's how I started. So and over the next period of time, I worked in three different hospices in the northeast, which is where I live. Um, but not where I come from. And no, I haven't lost my accent. So I come from London. But yeah, so and I gradually sort of worked my way up to a point where I was in a position where I was running a big service and had autonomy and agency to kind of develop that along with the chief exec, who was a wonderful guy called David Smith. Thank you, David. So we, I did some really interesting work during that period of time and have just recently stopped and come home and set up in private practice Um which is suiting me really well, actually. I'm really enjoying it. The, the, the joke I'm making to everyone is I'm, I'm like one of those battery chickens that kind people adopt, you know, and they come and they've got no feathers. They've never been out and they're all really stressed. And then really quickly their feathers come in and they start pecking around having a good time. That's how I feel coming out of work. I mean, the work was great, don't get me wrong, but, oh, my God, it was exhausting, and I had quite a big commute, and, you know, managing staff is always really, really tiring. So not doing it, I feel, you know, um, yeah, my feathers have come back in. Sarah, I love that. I love that metaphor. And I think we might end up using that as the little clip, you know, that we advertised this episode. (laughs) You go for it. (laughs) To draw people in. (laughs) So so then you end up with like a specialist interest in grief and loss. Um, What do you think are the important aspects of, of practice when you're working with those particular issues? One of the things that I feel really strongly about is that um, you know, how grief and loss and death sits in our society and how we are about all of that. And that, I think, is reflected often in people's um, bereavement, that they feel ashamed about what they feel. They feel like they're doing it wrong, that there are rules. And actually, there are some rules. Um, they might not be explicit, but there are there's certainly rules that people trip over around kind of not getting over it quickly enough for other people's taste and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that one of the first things that often emerges in the work is helping people to work with what they think about what they feel and is it okay to feel what I feel and their internal permissions um, and their relationship with themselves their immediate community and the wider community so the the lived experience of being in grief and bereavement I think so that I think is um, you know something that that emerges in all sorts of of different ways I think um then I think there's you as a therapist and how you are with that which I'm sure is the same I mean a lot of the things I think I will say today are are absolutely applicable to everybody else as well it's just that I work in bereavement and loss primarily so um I think you have to be very 
aware of your own feelings and you have to have your feet steady on the ground I always think of it as um I think I'm quite grounded as a personality uh largely because I wasn't at one point in any way grounded so I hold that very dearly and it's very precious to me and I think that communicates itself in the therapy space that I'm steady and I'm not scared um, I think my abusive childhood actually helps me there. Not that I'd wish it on anyone, but it makes me not frightened of people's extremity of emotion. I think, yeah, bring it on. It's fine. Whatever you're feeling, let's let's do it. So I'm not afraid of the depth of it. And I think often people who are in grief are afraid. So someone needs to be not afraid. And it's almost about holding that so that it gives people a space to gradually become accustomed to what they have to do and the adaptions in bereavement are god they're hard aren't they I mean they're just and there's so many of them you know from who puts the bins out to what is the purpose and meaning of my life and back again so I like a big existential conversation I always have I think ever since I trained um and so I enjoy that aspect as well of grief work is that you get to talk about the big stuff so yeah I think that would be um a summary, I guess, of some of the things that I think about when I'm first getting to know a client and meeting them and hearing what it's like for them. Thank you. I mean, that's really interesting. My first placement was um, a bereavement service right. um, when right. I was when I was in training. Um, so, and I'm so grateful to have had that experience as a therapist. As some of my first experiences as a as a as a counselor, because I feel like it's helped ground me in the rest of my work, even when I'm not working with. Grief mm. and loss I feel like it gave me a, a good grounding and as you say kind of that idea of some of those extreme really raw feelings um mm. someone's really kind of frightened or oh, where's this going to go kind of mm. you know I'm not sure what's going to happen here can you hold it can you mm. support me while I'm or be with me while I'm going through that and mm. not not be frightened of it and I think for me that's that experience as a therapist early on really has helped me, I think, throughout my whole mm. whole career working with all, di- all clients, bringing all different types of issues, I think. Mm. Mm. I can hear it in what, what you're saying. When you started reflecting that back and saying about the holding, I could literally feel my arms prickle a bit because it, it's so important. Yeah. And it is so terrifying, isn't it? And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've spoken to very many people who are bereaved who, for example, of... Um, lost a child or perhaps they've lost somebody from death by suicide where you don't at some point think to yourself so is there any point in me living I mean that is actually part of what it is you have to do isn't it when you have a significant death is you have to reconfigure the purpose and meaning of your own life and so you are being with people who are considering whether they live or die and and you have to really know how to hold that space, I think, um, but not rush in and rescue. Uh, that's absolutely the last thing I think or, or suddenly say, oh, safeguarding, you know, and go off and do something ridiculous. So it, there are some very careful judgments that need to be made in collaboration with the client is where I would go with all of that. Always, always. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um how would you define your therapeutic approach? Is that something that's changed over time or have you yeah. stayed with? with? I think so. Because, I, I, yeah, I did. I mean, I did a degree and I did. It, it was kind of like lots of person centred stuff. Um, 
which in, <laughs> in reality meant lots of triad work with us all repeating, namely what the other person. So you feel a bit unhappy today and you're pissed off about your mark. Um, so it would be like that. So obviously you've got to start somewhere and learn. But yeah, so I we started with that. And I fell in love with Carl Rogers and I haven't fallen out of love with him, to be honest. Um, even though I do find his books a bit boring. I, I prefer the books that are written more recently, which are a bit more moved on, um, if I'm honest. But anyway, I, I I love the principles and what he stood for are absolutely embedded in me. So relational stuff, the stuff that lots of us would say, I think. In terms of the other developments, I mean, some of it's been driven by supervisors that I've had. Um, So, yeah, I mentioned I had a psychodynamic um, supervisor in my early stages. I was terrified of. I actually came to really like her um, and we we struck up a good working alliance. And I thought, oh, maybe there's good stuff in here. And then, of course, I was working in bereavement. So you can't, I think, work in bereavement without looking at attachment and all of that kind of stuff. And you're looking retrospectively a lot in grief and loss because you're looking at the relationship people have lost. So you're reflecting back and then coming into the here and now. So I think I've, um, you know, got very interested in in that. And transaction analysis, I think I've had several supervisors through my career who have been really big on that. I wondered, as I'm flipping back now to what we were talking about earlier, so sorry, sorry for the right. random, random path of questions. Um, but when you were talking about um, working with grief, bereavement and loss, and I wondered um, whether there was any particular resources that you think um, that would be available for therapists who maybe want to work in this area or who work mm. in this area and are looking for mm. additional mm. stuff that might help them. Yeah, I, and I think I've, I've got a few things I wrote them down, so I'll just refer to my bits of paper. Shout out to my friend John Wilson. He works at York St John and he wrote The Plain Guide to Grief. And uh, if you want to read something that's straightforward by somebody who really knows their onions about grief and bereavement, that's a good one, I would say. It's a wonderful book, I think. I've recommended it to many colleagues, but lots of clients as well. It's really accessible for, for all of us. So that I would absolutely recommend. Um, I went on a training course recently and discovered that there's going to be a new book out in January 23, which is the new handbook of grief therapies, which is edited by Maria Stefan and two others, Milman and Naimea. I don't know how to say it, but the thing I think that is going to be really good from what I understood of, of what she was saying at the time is that it's it's very pluralism based. So it's lots of different ways of working with grief through lots of theoretical orientations based on what does the client need, which I that speaks to me. I like that. So I'm looking forward to that. I've got that on pre-order. So I'd say look at that because it might be that you have a theoretical training in, in an area and thinking, can I do grief though? Do I not? And I think that that book will probably offer us all a kind of, oh, okay, this is how I can apply what I know and this is how that might work. So I think it will be an empowering read. When Richard Coles lost his partner, his husband, I think it was, wasn't it? I, I, he wrote The Madness of Grief. I think that's a wonderful book. Oh, I really cried buckets over that uh, and laughed, I, all, all of it, all, all the feels. Um, and I love him. So I'd really recommend that. And then going back a bit over, I'd say Beloved by Toni Morrison is a wonderful book on loss. Oh, God, I can hardly even say it without feeling like I'm... I've got tears picking the back of my eyes. So for me, that's been seminal. So yeah, those will be my recommendations. 
That's brilliant. There's a brilliant list of resources there. Moving to a slightly different um, topic, um, <clears throat> which we ask everyone, obviously, because it's the Therapist Connect podcast. And um, I was just wondering, how do you see the wider kind of therapy community um, and how connected do you feel to other therapists? Well, thanks to you, Peter. Great deal more connected than I did. Because, <laughs> you know, hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that's obviously more important for me at this point in my career now I'm at home um, than it's perhaps ever been because I used to work in quite a big community of counsellors, quite unusual, I think, working in a service where there were, you know, um, quite a few counsellors knocking about and always someone that you could go and talk to. So I, I thought really carefully about that when I jumped ship and kind of thought about setting up in private practice. I, I mean, I really enjoy um online dialogue I don't do Facebook I do do Facebook but I do it for personal stuff I don't do it for professional stuff I'm not in any Facebook groups and I I mean I'm sure there are some that are fat but I view them with fear and dread because I see all sorts of things that people say and I think oh my god uh, but where I sit is I sit in Twitter so I hope it survives um and I really enjoy that I think I've learned loads of things about how to be in that space and I've certainly got it wrong and been clunky and rude and I've sort of like got the ump about people saying things and they've got fed up with me and I've, there's been all sorts of stuff that's gone on for me so it's quite a dynamic space I think um, but I've enjoyed the self-reflection that that's um, engendered in me I think I think that's good for me um, so I quite like sort of thinking carefully about what to say and but then at the same time, trying to also still be authentic and, you know, responsive to people. So I really enjoy the hurly burly of all of that. I think that's a great space and very supportive. Brings me on to something I think that I did want to kind of bring up, really. Something has changed because what I was doing when I was in paid work was running a great big service in the voluntary sector where only about 15 percent of the councillors got paid. Shoot me now. So I was quite cautious and anxious and conflicted about that. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be people listening and think, well, you know, you should have resigned, but I didn't. OK, now I have and I certainly didn't resign because of that. So I'm not trying to occupy a moral high ground that was not mine to occupy. I I changed and got out of that for personal reasons, really. But it does make a difference now because it's almost like all this kind of political sensibility, which I felt really anxious about, um, it has now got a bit more oxygen to breathe. And I now think that paying counsellors is the number one priority for our profession. That and avoiding scope, scope ed, I think, let's not do that and let's try and get paid. Those are the two things that I now feel I can say with clean hands, um, whereas I didn't. I felt like Lady Macbeth before and I felt like I'd always got this kind of yes but look what I do and you know Peter I worked my socks off to make sure that it was a good place for volunteer counsellors to be and it was a good offer and you know they got their supervision and they got CPD and they got a library and they got a community and they got all the all the resources that I could muster except for pay um, given to them but it still felt crap so you know there we are that's I the mean, world we live in. I mean, appreciate your honesty with all of that. And I, I mm. think it's, I, personally, I think it's really difficult because it's much more in recent times that I think people have started to understand how systemic that is. Yes. You know, it's not just the art service here, the voluntary service here, there. It's, yes. it's the whole profession built 
built on that, you know. Um, yes. so I think people being able to speak out and talk about it now so that so that change happens, I think is really important. So I really admire you for kind of yeah, thank you. Yeah. It feels like maybe a nice moment to 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 finish on as well. But I suppose maybe just a, a little last question for you might be um what do you have planned next? Do you have anything planned next that you'd like to tell the listeners about? Well, I'm in private practice now. Um I've got a website sarahmatthewscounselling.co.uk so you can find me if you want to um you can find me on twitter i'm doing a mixture of supervision and clients really interesting when i first went into private practice which is literally only three months ago loads of supervision and i think that's because um i tried to make myself a bit known the client work has been slower um so i think i'm about two-thirds full at the moment so i'm still looking for clients i'm sure i'm not the only person there i get that it's a lot about word of mouth and initially you have to pay loads of money for all the advertising so i i think yeah you know please be aware of me and if you think i might be helpful then let people know that i'm around and can we all do that for each other would be my thought because you know that's what we should be doing isn't it i'm i'm absolutely delighted if i can direct somebody to somebody that I think might be really good for them. I'm always very pleased if people do the same for me. So um, I I sort of want to ask for that support, but also offer it as well. Brilliant. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, if anyone wants to find you on Twitter, um, you have lots of interesting discussions on there about therapy <laughs> and other related things as well. Other things, yes. <laughs> indeed yes please do please come and find me on plum jam 61 if you want to find me on twitter so brilliant oh sarah thank you so much it was really lovely to have you onto the podcast um and i look forward to chatting to you again in the future absolutely peter yeah it's been it's uh hopefully useful and interesting for other people but it's been a real pleasure for me to meet you so thank you i've enjoyed my morning it's brilliant good day take care see you peter bye Therapists Connect podcast is sponsored by ISOS Connect. Modernize your private practice without tech overwhelm. Create and store client records and notes. Schedule video sessions with automated confirmations and reminders. Send invoices and more. All in one secure, affordable and easy to use place. Visit www.isosconnect.com and use code TC30 for one month free on any paid plan. Thank you for listening to the Therapist Connect podcast. Go to www.therapist-connect.com for more discussions and debates.